0: Welcome to Just the Truth Podcast. I'm Jenna Ellis, and so much to cover today. I am so excited to get into the topics, primarily because today is April Fool's Day. So of course, we have to talk about all of the foolish things that Joe Biden and his administration are doing, even though sadly, uh, today is known as the jokes day, you know, the free joke you get to post on Twitter, whatever you want, uh, that either you wish were true or that you think would be hilarious if it were true. And sadly, the things in the Biden administration that are hilarious are also true. So uh, they're foolish. And I think that April Fool's Day is a great day to point out the foolish things of the Biden administration. Uh, But before we get to that discussion today, I want to uh, thank my good friends and colleagues at the Thomas More Society. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org for uh, being a sponsor of this podcast. Uh, Great to collaborate with them. Um, They are a life, family and religious liberty nonprofit organization. Uh, If you you go to their website, you can see their mission statement. They are a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. So they're based in Chicago, but uh, we defend and protect religious freedom and uh, First Amendment uh, issues, constitutional issues on faith and family all across the nation. So I am special counsel with the Thomas More Society and currently represent a number of churches uh, in collaboration with other counsel through the Thomas More Society. If you missed uh, my interview Just this past Tuesday with one of our great clients, uh, Pastor John MacArthur out of Grace Community Church in California, his fight for opening the church, for staying open for religious liberty. Um, I interviewed him on Just the Truth TV on America's Voice News. You can always find that at americasvoice.news. Click up uh, to shows and then you can go to the Just the Truth playlist. See uh, that interview with John MacArthur about why church is essential. Um, I absolutely. (sighs) absolutely believe that in my own personal life, in my faith life. Of course, I am a dedicated, committed Christian, but I also recognize, like our founding fathers, that that is a fundamental liberty that must be protected and that our government is obligated through our Constitution to protect. So the Thomas More Society, of course, is fighting for our Constitution, and I am so grateful to be a special counsel uh, with them and to uh, be able to fight alongside wonderful uh, warriors of the Christian faith and of religious liberty, like Pastor MacArthur, and had a great opportunity to talk with him on Just the Truth TV. Um, so definitely check out that interview and then my co-counsel through Thomas More Society. Paul Jonna also uh, came on the program uh, that same night, on Tuesday night, to talk about uh, where we are in the fight for religious freedom, and uh, another case that he and uh, his colleague uh, through their California-based law firm, uh, how they are protecting religious freedom and where they are in that case. So um, thanks again to my great friends at Thomas More Society for being a sponsor now of this podcast, and if you are someone who is listening and you are interested in helping This fight, And maybe you're not a lawyer. Maybe you don't uh, need legal services. That's actually a good thing if you don't need a lawyer. Uh, But you really want to make sure to continue to help this fight for uh, not just religious freedom, but for family, faith and freedom issues. Um, You can always help great nonprofits like the Thomas More Society and donate so that we can provide those uh, nonprofit pro bono services uh, to churches, to um, other uh, other clients um, and opportunities. Opportunities that we have um, at no cost, and so uh, to the client. So that's a really wonderful opportunity that you have um, to get involved uh, with your financial donation, and so uh, that's something that we've um, been able to. And I'm so grateful that the the Thomas More Society has been able to uh, represent wonderful. just really wonderful conservatives, uh, members of the Christian faith, of course, and uh, people like um, also David DeLeiden, who, of course, is the undercover journalist that exposed the atrocities of Planned Parenthood and was sued uh, for it and deserves First Amendment protections as an undercover journalist, uh, is working with the Thomas More Society. So, very, very grateful for the important work that they do. If you want to know more about them or help the cause, go to thomasmoresociety.org. So April fools, the fool that Joe Biden is. Uh, So I've been looking over this whole infrastructure plan. And uh, of course, the GOP and and Mitch McConnell saying that uh, the GOP won't support this uh, this infrastructure plan. That's more than two trillion dollars. Of infrastructure, and that would raise the corporate tax rate to 28% to offset that spending. Also, a transportation secretary. Pete Buttigieg uh, also has been in the media this week talking about uh, a mileage tax. And it's very interesting to me. Um, you know, I talked on Tuesday about the vaccine passports and how that is uh, unconstitutional in the different ways that we're talking about it. But as applied to interstate travel within uh, the United States and not just the continental United States, by the way, I know Hawaii is looking at that and some of those restrictions and Uh, Of course, conservatives need to push back on this, need to make sure that our fundamental right to travel is protected. And it's interesting to me that all of this sort of uh, attack on the right to travel is coming simultaneously from a number of different angles. Uh, So when you look at this infrastructure plan that would have uh, that supposedly is trying to help uh, transportation and all of this. But yet you have the transportation secretary for April Fool, uh, Joe Biden, and raising the corporate tax rate and then also saying that uh, there's going to be a mileage tax, which would put such a significant burden on states like my home state of Colorado, where we have to drive everywhere. Um, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> when I was growing up and every time I come back to Colorado, I'm used to driving 45 minutes to. Get get anywhere. A mileage tax would significantly disadvantage rural communities, um, people in the larger states, and uh, even in D.C. You know, when when you look at the price of Uber and you look at uh, the costs of some of those uh, ride shares um, and that going up, it's putting a significant burden on the right to travel. And you have to ask yourself, what is the underlying issue here for the Democrats and for their whole agenda in all of these different travel restrictions and all of these different very oppressive elements of their agenda. And part of this, and I've been saying this from uh, the beginning of the pandemic, when you looked at how uh, governors like Andrew Cuomo, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, Gavin Newsom, and other Democrats were shutting down their states in a overly, um, just incredibly burdensome way that is certainly unconstitutional. But Um, just completely overbroad in terms of a reasonable constitutional response to the pandemic. And I've been saying this since the beginning that uh, really it's, it's a method of suppressing uh, businesses and the economy in a way to usher in socialism and increase the reliability on either big corporations and our, our oligarchs of uh, the corporate and really take out the middle class um, and to usher in this whole um, class or subclass that's dependent on welfare, dependent on government solutions. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast when the, when the Democrats are confronted with our constitutional system and they don't like that there are safeguards to protect and preserve liberty, they try to uh, find a workaround. Or now when they haven't really been able to work around it and socialism just doesn't work in this country because we are built on the economic principles of freedom and liberty and the overall principle of limited government, then what they're doing now is trying to simply completely break the system. And get rid of the system and get rid of that design because the goal oriented mission of the Democrats is not protecting and preserving your liberty and freedom, um, including, among other things, freedom to travel, freedom uh, to participate in uh, the, the economic community and, and within uh, a capitalist framework as the best opportunity to decide for yourself and your family, what kind of business practices you want to participate in, all of those kinds of things. They are trying to forcibly change the system. And so when you look at something like this, um, this infrastructure proposal, when you look at things like uh, this mileage tax, when you look at vaccine passports, all of this all together is not just, um, it's not just COVID response. It's not just a Democrat agenda on one particular point. It's all coordinated together from the starting place that the government knows more than you. The government has the right and the power to dictate your liberty and freedom to dictate uh, how to spend your money on the things that they choose and, uh, and really a complete paradigm shift and a completely different mission goal than what our founder set out for the purpose of this nation. And we, the the response to that could be, well, um, we can change our mission. We can change our goal. OK, well, if that's possible, then we have to change our constitution. We can't be ruled by a system and a system of r- rules, by the way, not a system of rulers, and change midstream how those rules apply without completely overhauling the U.S. Constitution and basically Uh, Dismantling the United States of America I mean and that's what the Democrats are trying to do They won't say that Uh, They won't say that as overtly They've said a few things that are geared towards uh, That and are being a lot more uh, Clear as far as their actual Agenda but that's really what they're getting at They don't like our constitution they don't like the principle Of limited government they don't like freedom And liberty they want to make this a socialist Country and so they're going to do that in every way Possible and they will use the limited powers Of government so over broadly Because they think that that uh, they know best and that the limited power isn't good enough for them. They want absolute power. And they want to be able to dictate all of these things. And they're using the pretext of COVID and health concerns and public safety to do a lot of this. Um, But they're also using uh, tax and spending like they have for a long time uh, to try to implement this sort of of structure. And we're seeing their push now with um, the foolish Biden administration even more than we have um, over the over the last Uh, you know, eight years of Obama um, that was laying kind of the foundation. And then, of course, President Trump comes along and uh, and absolutely uh, destroys that narrative and destroys their plan and path for Hillary to become president and then, you know, get through the Democrat agenda. And so they're having to do this now, um, basically pick up where they left off in 2016 and do it in a way that completely disregards our system. So when we think about these issues, obviously, we have to think about them in a constitutional framework and Regardless of what Biden thinks is a good idea or and it's not Biden thinking, we know that I, I use the term Biden as basically everybody who pretends that Biden is in control and is under the label of Biden-Harris administration, um, which is really the the secret undercurrent uh, overlords that are running that whole uh, Democrat machine. It's it's not Biden. But when you look at uh, then to so this overarching, we'll just label it the Biden-Harris agenda. Uh, when you look at that, don't just analyze the issues independently of each other, because all of this is coordinated by an underlying philosophy of government. And the the philosophy of the socialists and the progressives um, isn't just wrong and, and we can debate the, the merit of socialism versus capitalism and, and all of those things. But we also have to say that it's wrong objectively from the standpoint that Our constitution in our country was not built to allow those types of uh, moves and political plays and policy agendas. It's it's not designed for that. It doesn't give the government any opportunity whatsoever um, or any power to actually uh, create those policies, push them through the legislature or the executive and actually enact those things. Um, There are a lot of things that the government can do. Um, There are a lot of things it shouldn't do, but something that it cannot do is ever, ever, ever violate the U.S. Constitution. And so the Democrats, their coordinated strategy is to attack the system at its core and overhaul America and everything that we stand for in terms of the principle of limited government to usher in an overarching agenda. And I think that it's very interesting right now, and we need to be uh, very aware and watching Uh, this, that they are using the pretext of the pandemic and also the pretext of infrastructure and transportation and all of this to seriously try to infringe upon and burden significantly our right as Americans uh, to travel. Our fundamental right to travel is deeply rooted in our history and heritage. Um, There are a lot of Supreme Court opinions that, um, That deal with uh, this type of issue. And even though it's not one that's specifically enumerated in the Constitution, we know that um, our rights are beyond what is specifically enumerated in the Bill of Rights. Uh, It always has to go back to what power is given or not given to the federal government or to the states uh, to to have any sort of law or regulation on that particular subject matter and if there's no power that's given to the government then that means that we the people uh, get to exercise and determine for ourselves uh, and that's the principle of self-government but all of our rights we have intact regardless of the limited powers of government we still as americans have all of our rights um, and, and as people i mean this isn't just americans every human being made in the image of god has uh, all of our inalienable rights that are given by god our creator it's just our government in the united states through our constitution through the founding of this country recognized that the principle of limited government is uh, the only legitimate function of government and obligated through our constitution, our government to preserve and protect our rights. So even if the federal government has some limited power to deal with uh, infrastructure, transportation, some of those questions, and we have to ask what can it do? Uh, we we cannot ever allow the government to so significantly uh, burden our fundamental right to travel, the right to participate in economy that uh, we that, that, that we no longer have that right. It's just a privilege or it's such an onerous burden that we are having to pay uh, such high taxes in order to fulfill their wishes. And so I'm going to take a quick break here um, just because they tell me I have to do that. And, <laughs> and we'll be right back here with more on Just the Truth because I want to talk about the underlying philosophy of this and why it's not just the Democrats sometimes that... Uh, are looking at overhauling the system and have kind of this distorted view of government. It's also the Republicans. And I'm sad to say this because uh, the Republicans, uh, by and large, I mean, that's my party. Obviously I'm a registered Republican. Everybody knows that. Uh, but we have to get back to the truth of conservatism, not just party affiliation and believing that anything that someone does as a registered Republican or a, uh, an elected official who's a Republican automatically means that they are pursuing the principle of limited government and they're staying within their limited powers and that they truly understand the philosophy of conservatism and that's why this show is called not red not blue just the truth so we'll be right back have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free good news Welcome back to Just the Truth podcast, and we're talking about the overarching principle and philosophy of government, of course, preserving uh, the unalienable rights that we the people have from God, our sovereign creator, and that our government's only legitimate role is to preserve and protect those rights, and how... The government, as we've seen this over-expansion, over-centralization of government, has uh, since really the early 1900s, I mean, not that long after the founding of this country, uh, our government and the people in government, the elected officials and also the bureaucrats that continue to maintain uh, those positions even outside of being an elected official, uh, how they have continued to over-expand the limited and proper role of government. And so when we look at issues like infrastructure, when we look at uh, issues like vaccine passports, when we look at issues that that can and do significantly uh, burden our fundamental God-given rights, we have to also look at it from not just the constitutional standpoint of can the government, but also why the philosophy of conservatism genuinely reflects the truth about the purpose of government. And one of my favorite books uh, is The Conscience of a Conservative. This is by Barry Goldwater, um, of course, was a senator. And this was written in the 1960s. Okay, so this is, um, you know, this is 50 years old, plus 60 years old. Um, if, I can, if I can do my math, I'm a lawyer. That's why I don't do math. You guys know that. Um, but this was written, you know, a long time ago, not just just uh, within the last you know, four years of President Trump or the eight years of Obama, but actually explaining how uh, we as even Republicans have gotten off track into more power and an overexpansion of government and that the Republican Party uh, really needs to come back to an understanding of conservatism. And to talk about this, I want to just read a real quick uh, part of This book, because um, so story time with Jenna right now, because this really encapsulates and explains so well uh, what we're dealing with today. And it was a foreshadowing in 1960 of exactly where we're at today. And uh, and and former Senator Goldwater uh, wanting to express to his fellow colleagues, we have to come back to the conscience of a conservative and why we're doing this. And why uh, all of the things that you guys may think are good ideas aren't within the proper role and design of a legitimate, limited government. So he starts out by saying, I've been much concerned that so many people today with conservative instincts feel compelled to apologize for them. Sounds like us, right? Or if not to apologize directly, to qualify their commitment in a way that amounts to breastfeeding. Republican candidates, President Nixon has said, should be economic conservatives, but conservatives with a heart. President Eisenhower announced during his first term, I am conservative when it comes to economic problems, but liberal when it comes to human problems. Still other Republican leaders have insisted on calling themselves, quote unquote, progressive conservatives. These formulations are tantamount to an admission that conservatism is a narrow, mechanistic, economic theory that may work very well as a bookkeeper's guide, but cannot be relied upon as a comprehensive political philosophy. The same judgment, though in the form of an attack rather than an admission, is advanced by the radical camp. We liberals, they say, are interested in people. Our concern is with human beings, while you conservatives are preoccupied with the preservation of economic privilege and status. Doesn't sound like us today, right? And this is Barry Goldwater in 1960. He goes on to say, take them a step further and the liberals will turn the accusations into a class argument. It is the little people that concern us, not malefactors of great wealth. Such statements from friend and foe alike do great injustice to the conservative point of view conservatism is not an economic theory, though it has economic implications. The shoe is precisely on the other foot. It is socialism that subordinates all other considerations to man's material well-being. It is conservatism that puts material things in their proper place, that has a structured view of the human being and of human society, in which economics plays only a subsidiary role. The root difference between conservatives and the liberals of today is that conservatives take account of the whole... Man, while the liberals tend to look only at the material side of man's nature. The conservative believes that man is, in part, an economic an animal creature, but that he is also a spiritual creature with spiritual needs and spiritual desires. What is more, these needs and desires reflect the superior side of man's nature and thus take precedence over his economic wants. Conservatism, therefore, looks upon the enhancement of man's spiritual nature as the primary concern of political philosophy. Liberals, on the other hand, in the name of concern for human beings, regard the satisfaction of economic wants as the dominant mission of society. They are, moreover, in a hurry, so that their characteristic approach is to harness society's political and economic forces into a collective effort to compel, quote-unquote, progress. In this approach, I believe they fight against nature. Surely the first obligation of a political thinker is to understand the nature of man, The conservative does not claim special powers of perception on this point, but he does claim a familiarity with the accumulated wisdom and experience of history, and he is not too proud to learn from the great minds of the past. The first thing he has learned about man is that each member of the species is a unique creature. And I'm going to pause here. And this is now Jenna's commentary. Um, This is something also that reflects what our founders said as discoverable truth, right? The truth of reality. We can look at human nature. We can discover truth. And this is why also freedom of, of religion is so important, because conservatism as a philosophy, of course, is founded on the view of recognition of truth, but also that we have to recognize that uh, we need to, as individual human beings, discover for ourselves the truth of reality and the truth of understanding of who do we say that Jesus is. And I talk about that on certain podcasts. And so when when uh, Barry Goldwater is talking about man as a, an individual unique creature of and member of the species, um, he's talking about discoverable truth, just facts that we can look at in reality. And conservatism is built on recognition of that, not just compelling however the liberals decide to interpret um, and compel this quote unquote progress. So, so going back now to, to what Barry Goldwater is saying, man's most sacred possession is his individual soul, which has an immortal side, but also a mortal one the mortal side establishes his absolute differentness from every other human being. Only a philosophy that takes into account the essential differences between men and women and accordingly makes provision for developing the different potentialities of each man can claim to be in accord with nature. Pause for Jenna's commentary. So being in accord with nature, that's that's saying that we can't have a philosophy that fundamentally is not real, doesn't have truth, doesn't have any sort of objective meaning. I mean, this is when we as conservatives are fighting against the whole crazy LGBT agenda here. When And then this whole trans wokeness of saying that like CNN the other day had a headline that said there's no um, and I'm paraphrasing, but it said there's no uh, consensus on how we can objectively determine sex, I mean, are, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, just look at a naked human being and you can see, man, it's manifestly obvious that we have biological factors. And even if, you know, you know, you can say, OK, well, you know, certain people have certain distinctions in um, their genitalia regions and, you know, in areas and things like that and androgynous and all that. You can look at the chromosomes. I mean, that's that's science. It's observable. And so this whole idea of gender identity, and that words don't have meaning, and that we can create our own reality, my truth versus your truth. It's not in accord with nature. Nature is the empirical truth of the reality to which God has presented us, and nature has a moral component. Absolutely. We as human beings, like Barry Goldwater is saying, have a moral and spiritual awareness and element to our being. We all understand that we perceive it i mean we're talking about truth on this podcast we're talking about rationality we're talking about the things that go to the very essence of who we are how we live our lives uh, where we think we're going answering life's most basic questions and our our political philosophy and our government philosophy has to be in accord with nature because if you're out of alignment with nature if you're saying you know well i'm a I'm a biological man, but I feel like a woman. Uh, what Nancy Piercy says in my, in my interview with her and um, her book, Love Thy Body, it's saying that's, that is your understanding and your thinking being wrong because it's not in alignment with the truth of nature, the truth of biology. And so I love how Barry Goldwater uses this phrase of um, each, so the philosophy that takes into account the essential differences between human beings and makes provision for developing the different potentialities of each man can claim it to be in accord with nature but if we're saying that right now if we say oh there are differences and you can't just identify however you want then suddenly oh that's not being diverse that's not that's being racist that's being sexist that's being all of the ists and all of the isms and all of these different different terminologies but when the left is claiming that their claims are not in accordance with truth and with the truth of nature so this is why understanding the underlying philosophy not just attacking one specific policy agenda or viewpoint you have to take into account what's the foundation and this theory and this understanding of truth and of nature and of the empirical universe and who we are that's that's at the foundation of everything and republicans Need to figure that out and rediscover that as well, because there are so many things, and we're going to get into this in just a minute. There are so many things that the Republicans are doing that are in the name of power that they're not consistent and in accord, not only with nature, um, if Republicans are supporting, you know, some of this uh, woke agenda, but also just in accord with the principle of of limited government, with it, which is with, uh, in accordance with nature and the understanding that man by definition, has intrinsic value, made it in God's image, and has inherent dignity and worth, and also has rights. So Barry Goldwater goes on to then say, we have heard much in the time about the common man. It is a concept that pays little attention to the history of a nation that grew great through the initiative and ambition of uncommon men. The conservative knows that to regard man as part of an undifferentiated mass is to consign him to ultimate slavery. Oh, hey, key term there, right? Secondly, the conservative has learned that the economic and spiritual aspects of man's nature are inextricably intertwined. He cannot be economically free or even economically efficient if he is enslaved politically. Conversely, a man's political freedom is illusory, if he is dependent for his economic needs on the state. The conservative realizes, thirdly, that man's development in both its spiritual and material aspects is not something that be, that can be directed by outside forces. Every man, for his individual good and for the good of his society, is responsible for his own development. The choices that govern his life are choices that he must make. They cannot be made by any other human being or by a, collect- a collectivity of human beings. If the conservative is less anxious than his liberal brethren to increase social security, quote unquote, benefits, because he is more anxious than his liberal brethren, that people be free throughout their lives to spend their earnings when and as they see fit. So it is that conservatism throughout history that has regarded man neither as a potential pawn of other men, nor as part of a general collectivity in which the sacredness and separate identity of individual human beings are ignored. Throughout history, true conservatism has been at war equally with autocrats and with democratic Jacobians. The true conservative was sympathetic with the plight of the hapless peasant under the tyranny of the French monarchy. And he was equally revolted at the attempt to solve that problem by a mob tyranny that paraded under the banner of egalitarianism. The conscience of the conservative is pricked by anyone who would debase the dignity of the individual human being. Today, therefore, he is at odds with dictators who rule by terror and equally with those gentler collectivists who ask our permission to play God with the human race. With this view of the nature of man, it is understandable that the conservative looks upon politics as the art of achieving the maximum amount of freedom for individuals that is consistent with the maintenance of the social order. The conservative is the first to understand that the practice of freedom requires the establishment of order. It is impossible for one man to be free if another is able to deny him the exercise of his freedom. But the conservative also recognizes that the political power on which order is based is a self-aggrandizing force, that its appetite grows with eating. He knows that the utmost vigilance and care are required to keep political power within its proper bounds. In our day, order is pretty well taken care of. Pause for Jenna's analysis. Maybe we'll see. I mean, back in 1960, um, some of the infringements were only growing. Right now, we see that reign of terror. We see the overarching so um, order, you know, d- establishing justice, protecting uh, liberty and freedom. Um, that's that's a tenuous tension right now. I mean, we look at everything um, with the you know the George Soros putting um, just so much money into local DAs races to uh, to change the meaning of justice, uh, to have political prosecutions um, and political enforcement or non-enforcement of justice. I mean, all of these things go into the order and balance of exercising freedom and maintaining that established order. I mean, that's what our Constitution requires, both liberty and justice for all and for a more perfect union. We have to have a well-ordered society in order for each individual person to be able to exercise their freedom and liberties. It's a it's a well thought out, coherent philosophy of conservatism. And I also like that he points out conservatism did not uh, was not birthed with America, Uh, Our political parties aside, conservatism has always been a philosophy based on truth. And we have seen conservatism as a government philosophy and as a political philosophy uh, manifest itself in in different ways throughout human history. And we've seen uh, ways that uh, those who were genuine conservatives pushed back against an overreaching tyrant or collectivist tyrant of their day. So um, so going back to, to Barry Goldwater, in our day, order is pretty well taken care of. The delicate balance that ideally exists between freedom and order has long since tipped against freedom practically everywhere on Earth. In some countries, freedom is altogether down and order holds absolute sway. In our country, the trend is less far advanced, but is well along and gathering momentum every day. Remember, he wrote this in 1960, so we're even way, way, way further along in that momentum. So he says, thus, for the American conservative, uh, for the American conservative, there is no difficulty in identifying the day's overriding political challenge. It is to preserve and extend freedom as he surveys the various attitudes and institutions and laws that currently prevail in America. Many questions will occur to him, but the conservatives first concern will always be, are we maximizing freedom? I suggest that we examine some of the critical issues facing us today with this question in mind. Are we maximizing freedom? And um, you should definitely read this entire book, um, The Conscience of a Conservative, because it gives, and it's really, really short, by the way. I mean, it's its obviously dense. Um, you know, we just read that little introduction section, but um, it will provoke you to think more clearly and comprehensively about what conservatism is and how that is different than just um, fealty or allegiance to a political party, and also not looking to government to solve all of our problems. Um, that's really the the key element of a lot of this responsiveness to, uh, to the pandemic, for example, of saying, well, it's the government that needs to keep me safe. It's the government that needs to solve all of these uh, perceived problems, sometimes manufactured problems, um, sometimes, you know, now way outside the scope of the pandemic. But All of these things that government thinks are problems, and then they provide supposed solutions to, all it is is maximizing the government's power over you. But we as conservatives need to think about are we maximizing freedom? So think about that question. We're going to be right back uh, with the last part of Just the Truth podcast. Welcome back to Just the Truth podcast, and today we've been talking about the overarching principle in question of are we maximizing freedom? And you know, I started this by talking about um, foolish, fool, fool, April Fool, Joe Biden's uh, infrastructure plan, this gas tax, um, mileage tax, rather that will. Probably the only way they can enforce that is by attaching it to the gas tax. So I'm just calling it that. Um, But, you know, talking about these different um, areas and and vaccine passports and these restrictions on the right to travel and this whole philosophy of collectivism and all of this control. But um, rather than just talking about, you know, what's good or bad about that specific policy, um, it's important to come down to this ultimate question that Barry Goldwater poses to us. Are we maximizing freedom? And if you look at anything that the, that, uh, the Democrats are trying to push through, the, the quick and easy, very obvious answer to that question is no, we aren't maximizing freedom uh, with those policies. Uh, but if you look at the Republican side. Let's ask, let's ask the Republicans that question as well. Are we maximizing freedom? When we pass a ridiculous spending bill, the omnibus spending bill that you know, had so many things in it, even the COVID relief bill with all of this pork that's going you know, to all of these other um, institutions and organizations and, and so forth, um, are we maximizing freedom? And there are a few people uh, who are conservatives in Washington that I I believe are sincerely trying to do that. Um, some of them, you know, who I've had the privilege of knowing personally and, and talking offline about some of these things and their their root philosophy. I think that there are some very uh, true, genuine conservatives in Washington, uh, definitely more on the state level, uh, I have to say, which is how it should be in terms of our structure of federalism. Um, but but it's a really sad response to this question that even Republicans, when you look at the majority of proposals and the way that we're engaging our political government, we're not actually maximizing freedom. Uh, We are looking at a collectivist mentality and we are talking about an unqualified repudiation by both political parties of the principle of limited government. That's really what's going on today. And even though I'm, you know, I'm super grateful that Mitch McConnell is standing up and saying, uh, you know, earlier today uh, he's not in support of this this what two trillion dollar uh, infrastructure plan. But it has to go beyond that because what ha- what are Republicans supporting? And engaging in that's outside the bounds of our principle of limited government. That there's no reference to that power in the Constitution, or, um, or even any attempt anymore to define the legitimate functions of government. And um, even in you know Barry Goldwater in this book, The Conscience of a Conservative. I mean, he goes on to, to talk about um, defining the principles of limited government, but also the legitimate functions. Um government can do under the constitution with a necessary and proper clause. Um, you know, two instances in the constitution of necessary and proper what's necessary and proper uh to effectuate the purpose of of government and to um in order to carry out the legitimate functions of government. But we have so completely exaggerated what's necessary and proper for our government to do that it has just gone so far expansive out of any realm of rationality or of reasonable restriction and confining the the government into its legitimate role because the government cannot under our constitutional analysis cannot nor should it under a genuinely conservative philosophy do anything it wants to or solve any uh, perceived problem or government-defined problem. And so even if there's a majority of of Congress or even on the state level of your state legislature that agrees, yeah, X thing is a problem, well, that doesn't mean that the state or the, the federal Congress, that, that our state, meaning our civil government, Is the competent entity to solve that problem. Um, This is where we need to have a more principled leadership um even within the Republican party and you know and some of some of you listening aren't going to like that I'm also calling out the Republican party but we have to if we are going to actually rein in our government and we're going to go back to legitimacy and we're going to protect and preserve freedom because I know that everyone listening loves freedom that's something we can start with that we all want more freedom more liberty more genuine opportunity, not this contrived sort of, you know, diversity wokeness, but more opportunity for ourselves and our family to self-govern. That's something we all agree on. Now, a lot of us who who are registered Republicans will be defensive, sort of, um, just a knee-jerk reaction to defend those in Washington who are Republicans, but we have to, as genuine conservatives who love freedom and liberty, be willing to ask this question to our fellow Republicans, to the people who are supposed to represent us. They're, they're among us. They are no, there's no one in Washington who is a greater, more entitled citizen than you or me. I mean, we have to start with that fundamental premise that we get to ask them questions. We need to be constantly asking them the question, are you maximizing freedom? Are you staying within the boundaries of the Constitution? Why are you supporting this particular policy? Where in the Constitution do you get the power to do that? Uh, Why is this a problem that the government is competent to solve? Uh, All of these questions go back to the heart of what Barry Goldwater calls the conscience of a conservative. So, um, so I wanted to just in the minutes that we had together today, to to just start with this um, this question and to to kind of reorient our perspective on what's going on in Washington and analyzing all of these issues like the infrastructure bill and all these things. And instead of just talking confined within the four corners of that issue like the mainstream media does i mean you know you have 2 minutes on you know a talk show to to just give the talking points about why it's bad and it's you know republican versus democrat commentator and clash clash and that's it did we really even learn anything no we have to go back to saying well hold on a minute are we maximizing freedom what is the overriding agenda of the democrats and if you start with that and if you reorient and adjust your view i think you're going to find that on the spectrum republicans and democrats are really, really far to the left. And of course, Democrats are way further. I mean, there's there's a difference between good faith uh, Republicans who genuinely believe that they're acting in the best interests of, um, of Americans. And I think there's a lot of even um, over- Infringing Republicans, um, over power hungry Republicans that are doing it out of a a good faith worldview of saying, well, I need to do this. It's necessary and proper to help America. You know, okay, great. So your motive is good, but are you maximizing freedom? Are you staying within the principle of limited government? Why are you competent to solve this problem for me? Who asked you to solve this problem? I didn't elect anybody. Um, cast my vote for anybody to go solve a bunch of problems that um I can solve for myself or that. Some other more competent organization, like the church, by the way, um, is or should be more competent to solve. Um, I'm not asking the government to um, to tell my family what to do or raise my kids or uh, or comment on the you know the the adequacy of uh, faith uh, faith based issues. I mean that's not the government's competency. The government is supposed to preserve the free exercise of religion, not comment on the truth of. Uh, what any particular preacher preaches on Sunday. that's the province of the church. And of course the government has to recognize the truth of the reality to which God's presented us, but with that recognizes that there are opposing viewpoints. and and then and that that's okay. that's the free marketplace of ideas, which is why all of our collective first freedoms, Allow us to engage and speak freely about truth and to discover more truth and that good ideas will prevail in the marketplace. Um, This is this is the understanding that um, we as self-governed individuals have the ability to choose stuff that's maybe objectively not not the best for us. Right. So, so for example, when it comes to the vaccine, um, I was having this conversation with, with a friend who, um, if, if they're listening will remain nameless, but, um, you know, who I, I bounce a lot of things off all the time. We have really interesting discussions and, um, you know, he's very much for vaccine passports, even as a, um, a classic sort of classical liberal, I would say. Um, and, and I was saying, you know, well, well, why? I mean, this is something I don't want the government to be able to compel that. And, you know, and his response was, um, well, you know, this, these if we give people the ability to choose, then a lot of people are going to choose to not vaccinate. And that's stupid. Well, um, OK, if we objectively look at this and we say, let's just agree for sake of argument that the vaccine is definitely the best thing forever. Well, does that mean that the, that the government should be able to compel that choice on you or me? And what are the implications of that opportunity and power to compel? Um, and that was kind of where our our line of conversation went, where I said, OK, so let's just take for sake of argument, let's let's say that that's that that's a correct proposition, that the vaccine, the covid vaccine is good for everyone and that everyone should take it well. Then what stops the government from saying, well, you know, what's also good for everyone is to make sure that, you know, you get a blood transfusion, uh, which is, of course, our conscientious objectors um, in different faith groups and. Um, you know, what is best for your child is hormone therapy. If if we think if we have a competent expert or, you know, some health official in government that says that your child should receive hormone therapy, that's best from everyone should be receiving that who um, exhibits some of these factors. I mean, where does it stop? Where do you draw the line? And this is why we were always interested as conservatives in maximizing freedom, because we understand and appreciate and recognize in the calculus in this framework, that some people are going to choose to do stupid things, right, with their freedom. Now, as it infringes on my ability or your ability to freely exercise our freedoms, that's why we have criminal law. We have to have a well-ordered society. We have to have justice, all of those things. Now, where those lines are, that's for a very interesting future conversation. I think criminal law is totally fascinating. That's why um, a lot of my practice um, in Colorado was in the realm of criminal law, first as a prosecutor, then as a defense attorney. Um, And uh, you know, that whole line of, of what do we criminalize, of course, is, is fascinating. Um, and we have to criminalize certain things that are obvious harms. Um, but in terms of freedom of choice to do stupid things, yes, there's an assumption of the risk, there's personal responsibility, but we have to allow for people to choose to do stupid things or that we consider in our assessment subjectively is stupid. I wouldn't choose that, Right. Um, there are certain things that, you know, people do all the time with um, in their parenting choices. And I'm like, man, I, I would never allow my my child to do that. Or I would definitely, you know, make sure that my child does X. Um, well, parental rights uh, say and and we know that fundamental freedoms of parents are that parents, those parents are. Are solely responsible for the health, safety, and welfare of their own child. That's personal responsibility. And we want to maximize freedom in this country. So the great uh, the great breath of fresh air, I think I would call it today on the Joe Biden April Fool day, is that we as conservatives aren't shouldn't just be frustrated with everything going on in Washington and attacking you know, his plan and agenda and the Biden-Harris, you know, agenda, we should be concerned always with asking, is this maximizing freedom? And if the answer is no, then I'm going to bet that there is no power that's actually given to enact whatever that policy or executive order or government action is in the Constitution or on the state level Um, or in any way, and that that's going to be an overreach. And so with that question, are we maximizing freedom? That can get us to a very simple response to our constitutional question, which is always, can the government? So thanks for joining me today on Just the Truth Podcast, and if you're listening to this uh, actually prior or after 6 p.m. Eastern, um, I'm actually on Mountain Time. I am broadcasting to you today from the great state of Colorado, um, my home state, and uh, where I grew up. I love coming back to Colorado. Um, I still I still live here, by the way, I'm in D.C., um, you know, a lot of the time uh, due to my job and everything. But come back, see my family and everybody here. And uh, tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, or you can watch uh, the any through our digital channels on America's Voice News. Um, I'm going to be talking about limited government tonight uh, with a very special episode uh, broadcast from Denver tonight on Real America's Voice, Just the Truth TV uh, with my good friend Debbie Chavez, who is. Uh, the director of Colorado Family Action, and why the fight on the local level is so important. And this gets to this overarching question of maximizing freedom, what you can do uh, to support that good response to that question and say yes we're maximizing freedom on your state and local level so um, if you're listening to this and you've already missed the show no worries go to americasvoice.news you can see all of the playbacks click shows uh, and then go to just the truth or you can always listen via the app america's voice news and uh, tune in tomorrow for just the truth podcast and i will be here talk to you then